title of my message this morning is He's Still God. Now that may seem like a no-brainer and you go, duh, we all knew that. But the reality is, I think a lot of us sometimes forget in the midst of crises, in the midst of challenges, circumstances in life, we get our eyes off of God, onto the problem, onto the circumstance, and we need to be reminded He's still God. When things happen in our life that aren't the most pleasant, when bad things happen, He's still God. He's still God. That doesn't mean it's not a challenge. That doesn't mean it's not a struggle. But if we keep our eyes on Him and remember He's still God, He promises that He's going to walk through the darkest of valleys with us no matter what, and we will come out the other side. No matter what our problem is, He's bigger than that problem. He's still God. We're going to be looking in Acts, and we're going to be really kind of taking a (coughs) quick journey through about chapter 6 through chapter 9. And we, I, want to, I want us to see what we've been looking at before, the, the working together of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. Wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all of other parts of the earth. But not until that power comes. And then you go. So we're seeing in the book of Acts, Pentecost is over with. We're a few months past that. And what's taken place is amazing work between people cooperating with the Holy Spirit. And even though that's what's taking place, bad things happen to really good, godly people. But He's still God. And we see that as we look through this. When we left the apostles a week ago, we were talking about having bold faith. And the disciples of the apostles had been imprisoned. They'd been commanded more than once not to speak anything more in the name of Jesus. They get thrown in jail. An angel of the Lord comes during the night and takes them out of the jail somehow because the next morning they went to get him and the The guards were there, the jail was secure, but they were gone. And one thing the angel of the Lord told them when he came and took them out of the jail, out of the prison, was exactly contrary to what they had been commanded by the religious leaders. The angel of the Lord said, go to the temple and speak the full message of life. And they went. The next morning... When the council is meeting, trying to figure out what they're going to do with these guys, they send somebody to the jail, they find it empty. And it told us they were wondering, what in the world's going to happen next? And then somebody comes and tells the Sanhedrin, and if you remember the picture, the Sanhedrin met in a part of the temple complex. And the disciples, the apostles, are over preaching in another part of the temple complex. So it's not like they're hiding from anybody. They're responding in obedience, in bold faith, to continue giving the message of the full meaning of life, the gospel message. And somebody comes into the Sanhedrin, into the council, and says, we found them. And they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching, teaching. And you can imagine the anger that rose up in these religious leaders. And they send the guard, temple guards to go get them. And the temple guards go to get them, and there's a crowd And they don't know what to do because the crowd will react violently if they try to arrest them. But the disciples basically 
put themselves under arrest and say, yeah, let's go. So they take him to the Sanhedrin and they put him in the center. And all the, the council, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, etc., the priests are sitting in a circle around him. And it tells us they want to kill him. They want to kill him. And we read last week how one of them, a man by the name of Gamaliel, he interrupted. They had asked the apostles to step outside for a minute, and he reminds them of a couple previous leaders who were leading uprisings and how Rome crushed them. And by letting Rome deal with the problem, it didn't ruin the relationship between the religious people and Rome. And Gamaliel says, hey, Let's not interrupt. Let's not fight these guys. Let's not kill these guys because if it's man, Rome will take care of the problem for us. But if it's God, we don't want to be fighting against God. And to save face, they had to do something. So they called him in and it says they flogged them. They beat them. The same word that when Jesus was flogged before his crucifixion. And then they not only flogged him, they gave him one more message. And guess what it was? Do not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't speak in that name anymore. So these guys, these apostles who have just been beaten and flogged, flesh ripped from their bodies, scars they're going to carry for the rest of their lives, it says they go rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer like Jesus had suffered. And then it goes on and says, And they were preaching in the temple every single day. And then they would go from house to house preaching and teaching Jesus the Messiah. They would preach about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that they were eyewitnesses of this. And then it says the church continued to prosper. The church continued to explode. They were growing in numbers day by day. And because of this tremendous growth, some people came to him and said, you know, there's getting to be so many of us that you guys, the apostles, can't provide all the care that's necessary. And the apostles said, you know, well, it's, it's, it's probably better that we would spend time teaching and being in the Word. So they said, we want you guys, the people, to choose a few guys. And they said, pick some men of very good reputation, Men that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And that's what they did. Basically, we could look at it and say the first deacons of the church were now being appointed to serve. And the first one that's mentioned is the one that seems there's a significant event that's about to take place, and that's Stephen. It mentions Stephen, and it says he is a man filled with faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen. They pray and they lay hands on Stephen and Philip and and five other guys. So there's seven of them that have been put in place to be serving in the church. And in chapter 6, starting in verse 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of grace and power, full of the Holy Spirit, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Signs and wonders and miracles at the hand of Stephen. And I want to just point out, because of some contrary teaching you might hear or have heard somewhere, he's not one of the apostles. 
It was not just the apostles that did signs and wonders and miracles. Here we see Stephen. It says he's doing signs and wonders. Miracles are taking place. And guess what happens? The same thing that happened all the time. Opposition arose. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen. There's a number of synagogues. There's some estimates that there might have been over 100 or 200 different synagogues in Jerusalem, not just the synagogue with the big temple, where different groups, different sects of Jews had different synagogues. And here we see Stephen is being confronted by some of the people of these other synagogues. And maybe because they're feeling a little confident that he's not one of the apostles, he's facing some serious threats. Matter of fact, they're so upset with him that they get false witnesses to make up stories and accusations and false charges against him. And we see also, once again, the combination of man cooperating with the Holy Spirit. God tells us in His Word we're to speak up and the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak, the words to share. We saw it in the, the early church when the day of Pentecost when Peter, Peter of all people, stands up and gives this sermon and this message and thousands get saved. Here Stephen is, is facing these men, Jewish leaders, who are challenging him and arguing with him, trying to debate with him, and it says they can't win. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 7, which we're not going to spend time going through, but it's probably the longest oration in the Scriptures from anybody other than Jesus. He starts speaking in chapter 7, verse 1, defending the accusation that they're bringing against him. And he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, so he goes back and he starts his dissertation with Abraham, the father of the Jews. And in the next 50 verses or so, he comes through from Abraham, from the Old Testament, all the way up to the first century church, right where they're at today. And then, filled with a bold faith, kind of gets right in their face. If you look in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, it says, he's finished his oration, and then he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit and are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they kill those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers, murderers, you have now become. Not very politically correct. He goes back and lays out the history of their faith. Everything pointing to the Jesus as the Messiah, the Righteous One. And he says, you guys killed him. And of course, they went a little bit crazy. And because of his bold faith, he's persecuted. Boy, is he persecuted. He steps up, and he's got these people. And the picture, the word picture is so amazing. He finishes this. He says what I just read to you. And then it says, they covered their ears, and they start screaming. 
and they rush at him. It's almost like demons shrieking. And they rush at him and they take him. And it was common outside the city. There would be a little pit where they would throw people for official stonings. They threw him in there and they stoned him. Here he is, Stephen. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Led by the Holy Spirit. A man who is well respected. Filled with power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And he's killed by stoning. But God's still God. He's a good man. He's a faithful man. He loved the Lord. People loved Him. And He gets stoned to death. Where is the fairness in that? But God's still God. In Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read 54 through verse 1 of chapter 8. It describes the reaction of these guys. When they heard this, the religious leaders, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And then we see a little piece that doesn't seem to be significant in and of itself. But it says, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he fell asleep. And then once again, it says this strange thing. Saul was there giving approval to the death. I personally think Paul was an instigator. Can't prove it scripturally. And he stood back so his hands were clean and they put the clothes at their feet and they picked up the stones and stoned him. And he thought this is a good thing. Paul actually believed everything that he was going to do for the next three years, he was doing in obedience to God. He was serving God. He was so bound in his religious beliefs, so educated as a Jew amongst Jews, that he believed everything he could do to stop this movement was the will of God. Full of the Holy Spirit. Again, I maybe make a bigger deal of it than you can or should, but I am in awe when it says he looks up into heaven. And we know that Jesus ascended to heaven as, and is what? Seated at the right hand of God. But here we see a picture of Stephen being martyred as the first martyr of the new church movement. And it's as if Jesus is standing up and watching. He is so proud of His child. So in awe of His faith. He's standing at the right hand of God. We don't read this anywhere else. And he is martyred and he's killed. Seems like a really unfair way for his life to end. 
but God's still God. And Saul was there giving approval. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it goes on and says, On that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. And my translation says, ravage the church. And if you look up that word in the Greek, it's a ravaging like an animal, a wild beast coming and shredding and tearing apart its prey. It's almost like there's a direct contrast there for us to see godly men buried Stephen and mourned him, but Paul, Saul, continued to ravage the church. Believers, the new body of Christ, and going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And Saul believed he was serving God by trying to stop this new movement. And once again, we see good people. These believers that they were dragging right out of their homes, coming through the door and taking them and dragging them out for one reason, one reason only, they were followers of the way. They were the followers of Jesus, the Messiah. They were Jews that had accepted the Messiah as Christ. Good people. People just trying to make a living. People trying to raise their families. Good people. Drug out of their homes, thrown in prison. Many were beaten. History tells us many of them were killed for their faith. Good people. Bad things. God still got in the midst of it all. Our flesh, it's hard to comprehend. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we get a real clue. Even though evil is rising up, Satan is stirring amongst the religious people to try to stop this thing. They think they're going to stop the spread of this disease called the Christianity, that we call Christianity. They initially called it the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They thought they could stop it. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The people fled the persecution. Those that could fled. And everywhere they went, the exact opposite would happen as to what Paul thought he was going to accomplish. They went and spread the word everywhere they went. Then we see a story about another one of the first deacons, if you would, Philip. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, most of the chapter, we get a little bit of a picture of him. And again, we see the Holy Spirit working powerfully in the life of a man who is obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting, which is what we all should be trying to do. We see a story of Philip, and it says, Philip was doing signs and wonders wherever he went, preaching the word. Once again, not an apostle, Philip, preaching, preaching and proclaiming the word, and it was attested to by signs and wonders and miracles were taking place. Many people were getting saved. And by the way, where he went was into Samaria. Jesus had said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They're persecuted and they scatter and the people are heading into Judea, they're heading into Samaria and they're preaching the word and making disciples. Matter of fact, 
they hear back in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, the apostles are still there, and they hear this. You're not going to believe this, guys, but the Samaritans are accepting the Messiah. And they're like, the dogs? You know, they, if you know the story, they don't, the Samaritans, no, they're bad. They worshiped wrong. They considered them dogs. The dogs are accepting Jesus as the Messiah. So they thought, well, we better go check this out. And it tells us in there when Peter and John get there and connect up with them, it says that they have been baptized in the baptism of Jesus. Now, to me, that means they have been baptized in the name of Jesus and have declared that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, they're believers. We'll see later, a eunuch asks, what must I do to get baptized? Believe. Be baptized. So it says, we have Peter and John coming here, and they come to these Samaritan believers that have been baptized in the name of Jesus, and it says they pray for them and lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I believe it's a clear example of a second event with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into their hearts and into their lives as the moment they accepted and became believers. And Peter and John came and they received the Holy Spirit. And then we do hear the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip's told by God to go a different direction. He changes his route and he comes across a man sitting in a chariot. And he's an Ethiopian eunuch. And he's not just any Ethiopian eunuch. They were, many of them were made eunuchs so they could serve royalty. And it turns out he happens to be the treasurer, if you would, of the Queen of Ethiopia. An extremely prestigious and trusted position. And he's sitting along the side of the road and the whole, God, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to Philip and says, go down and talk to this guy. He's reading what we would call the Old Testament. Philip comes down to him, led by the Spirit, and says, you understand what you're reading? How can I? Unless someone explain it to me. And he sat down. He created an opportunity, if you remember from last week. He created an opportunity to share. How can I? Let someone explain. Well, here, let me explain. And he goes through. And the eunuch accepts Jesus as the Messiah. And then it says, what prevents me from being baptized? There's some water. And that's where Philip says to him, all that's required for you to be baptized is that you must believe that Jesus is the Messiah. One of these things, one of the scriptures that we stand on in our church is we practice believers' baptism. What must I do to be baptized? Believe and be baptized. God at work here again, not only spreading the word into Judea and Samaria, now he's got a very prestigious and important Ethiopian who's the right-hand man to the queen going back to northern Africa to spread the good news of the Messiah. God's working. In the midst of all that turmoil, all that persecution, He's working. And while this is taking place, Saul is still working. And Saul continues to ravage the church. And we have a hard time sometimes chronologically as we read through this, but he spent about three years ravaging the church of Jerusalem and the surrounding area right around Jerusalem. And then at the end of that three years, he goes to the priest because it hadn't been working. 
the church now, because it was persecuted, God had t- took what the devil intended for evil and worked it for good. They went in their different directions and they're spreading the gospel outside of Jerusalem to, Caesar- to Samaria, to Judea. And now we hear he gets letters from the priests in Jerusalem because he's going to go all the way to Damascus because rumor has it it's spreading outside of Palestine and we've got to stop it. So he's on his way to Damascus with letters that saying, I can arrest anybody I want and bring them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned, beaten, or whatever. But God had a plan. God's plan was different than his. I want to read in Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to read kind of quickly. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by hand, they brought him to the, into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, nor ate or drank. In the study that we're doing as a church, for those that are in life groups, it's a study called Big Church. And Andy Stanley says about this event on page 39 of your study guides, he says, Jesus had a message here in his conversation with Paul that's kind of really is right beneath the surface that we might miss. And he put it this way, Saul, what you do to my people, you're doing to me. Being in the presence of my people is the same as being in my presence here on earth. Church, we are called to be the representative of Jesus Christ on earth. Church, corporately, is the body of Christ. We are called to represent Jesus on earth. And we're called to represent Him as a church to the world through bold faith, knowing and expecting persecution knowing and expecting that bad things happen to good people but he's still God in verses 10 through 14 there's a man named Ananias and now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias and he said behold here I am Lord and the Lord said to him arise and go to the street called straight And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the priest to bind all he wants that call upon the name of Jesus. A man named Ananias being asked by God to step out in faith. Bold faith. The reputation of Saul has spread from Jerusalem all the way to Damascus. 
And here he is supposed to go talk to him one-on-one with a message from the Lord. But the Lord responds to him in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. He says, But the Lord says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God is revealing right here his plan for the good news of Jesus to go beyond the Jewish people, to go to the Gentiles, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he's saying, I'm going to use this guy with all his faults, with all the things he's been doing against me in this movement, all the sin that he's committing, I'm going to use him and he's going to know how much he's going to have to suffer for me, for the message. I don't believe he's saying he's going to have to suffer because I'm going to punish him for what he's been doing. I believe he's just saying he's going to know wherever he goes, carrying the name of Jesus with him, he's going to face persecution and suffering. It's just the way it is for believers when they act in faith, bold faith. In verse 17 it says, Then Ananias went to the house and he entered into it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no way Paul could have carried out the mission that God was calling him to without the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was going to suffer greatly even as he carried the message of Jesus. He's going to forsake all. His power, his prestige, his influence. He's going to set it all aside to follow Jesus. He's going to be obedient and walk by faith. And yet... Paul, it's not going to be any fun. And we know from the story of Paul, he goes, and it's interesting, you can't see it right here in Acts, but he disappears basically for 14 years now. You can go to Galatians chapter 1 in the letter he wrote to the Galatians, and you can see he makes reference to this time when he goes, and we believe it's into Syria. And for about 14 years, he's isolated. And we read where he says, I didn't sit at the feet of the disciples or the apostles, He sat at the feet of Jesus. I can't help but imagine in my mind, he spent some long time going through the Old Testament saying, what in the world did I miss? But whatever it was, he was being prepared. And it's right in here, we see there's a little bit of a gap that you can read about it in Galatians chapter 1. I believe he's being taught by the Lord and preparing for his mission. Then Paul goes on and acts, and we read about his missionary journeys. He goes to these uttermost parts of what is the known world at that time, planting churches in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Sardis, in Corinth. He goes to all these places. And what he would do typically, he would go to the synagogues of the city, go to the Jewish people, and they would reject him. Oftentimes they would arrest him. Times they would beat him. Times they would take him outside the city and stone him. One time they stoned him and they thought he was dead. But he'd been warned. And when he would dust himself off, he'd get up and he'd dust off the, shoe, the feet of his, uh, the dust off his soles of his feet, and he'd go to the Gentiles. And everywhere he went, he went to the Gentiles. And he did this throughout the rest of his life. And everywhere he went, he suffered greatly. We see he wrote many letters to all those little churches he planted, giving them encouragement, comfort, correcting them, teaching them. 
Matter of fact, most of our New Testament is made up of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. He became a good man. He became a godly man. He became a servant of the Lord irregardless of what was happening. And bad things happened everywhere he went. The Bible doesn't say much about his death, but historians have written much about it. And it appears that the Roman Emperor Nero is the one who finally martyred Paul by beheading him in about 68 A.D. God's servant wrote most of our New Testament and he's beheaded for his faith. Bad things happen to good people, really good people. But he's still God. He's still God. The story of Stephen and the story of Paul, I believe that the way they're linked is intentional for us to see that. That we know we're promised if we step out by faith, do what we're called to do as disciples and make disciples, we're going to be persecuted. And we don't know what kind of persecution it will be. It might come from man. It might come from people. We know we live in a fallen world and we know we have a devil who hates us and he hates Jesus even more. We don't know what's coming. But no matter what it is, God is still God. When these terrible things, these unexplainable things happen to people who have extraordinary faith, it does not seem fair. It doesn't make any sense. And we're going to suffer because of it. We're going to grieve. It's not. It's horrible. But God's still God. We need to praise Him in the valleys just like we do in the mountaintops. No matter what we go through, and I know what I'm saying is not easy. And some of us in here have went through a whole lot harder things than I've had to go through in my life. But we need to know when we go through these things that we can, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to remain committed to the calling to spread the good news of the message of life. We're going to hurt. We will suffer for a season. We will grieve for a time. It may take time for us to recover physically, emotionally, but we, never, we should never lose sight that we are called to continue on that mission to share the life-changing message of Jesus with people everywhere. Everywhere. The message is a simple one. Again, you know, Andy Stanley in that book, he keeps stressing, it's just simple. Don't, you don't need to debate about the seven days of creation. You don't need to debate about all the stuff in Revelation and all those animals flying around with wings, all these eyes. All, you don't need to worry about all that stuff. You don't need to worry about and argue about where the dinosaurs went and how they fit in the ark. <laughs> he says this, just remember, this is the message. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried because He was dead. He was raised from the dead. And witnesses saw Him. Hundreds of them. And because of that, we can have eternal life by believing that He did all that for us and our sins. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise You and thank You that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in each one of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God, there is a Holy Spirit, the power of God, in each one of us. Lord, I pray that You would baptize each one of us in the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would stand strong in our faith even in our weakness. God, in those times where it just doesn't seem right, It doesn't seem fair.
that our focus would realign with who you are, that you are God, and that you have a plan, and there's a purpose even when we don't see it. Gather, and you will give us grace by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we have the promises of your word that wherever we go, you're not going to leave us. You'll never forsake us or abandon us. And you will walk through the darkest of valleys with us. And that there's victory already been won. So I pray this morning, Lord, that everyone here that has heard what I've said, Father God, we receive it in the heart and the way that it's intended. God, heal all of us that are hurting. Heal all of us that are going through difficult times. But God, I pray by your Spirit, you would draw our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. Father, I pray that all that we do brings glory to you. Pray that as we go our separate ways, you would go before us, we would hear and s- your, your voice, they still small voice, but we would be obedient to whatever you tell us to do. Pray today you would watch over us and protect us. God, I just thank you for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.